This is the Q&A podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church. From time to time, we take questions on topics ranging from the Bible, theology, spirituality, daily life, and culture. You can submit a question on our website by visiting salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. Click on Community and Ask Anything. You can also listen to our sermon podcast to catch up on the preaching at Salem Pres. But don't just engage with us online. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. The music for our podcasts comes from Jared Meyer of Solitude Sessions. Okay. Let me bring up the questions. I think we were going to start with our opinions of the last dance. Oh, that's okay. So you go first. The last dance. Really well done. I like the uh, flashbacks and the way they took you through one season, but then they would flashback to key moments in the past, which interpreted that. Um, And just a great. <clears throat> finale with that iconic shot that he hit yeah in the last game um but i would say like spiritually very sad like tragic someone i saw read he was raised by an old testament father and a new testament mother that was like from an article i read mm-hmm. um, and uh i think his dad being military was just so hard on him mm-hmm. and you could see his um like his rivalry with his brothers and his older brother i think his dad paid a lot more attention to hmm. and uh so that was that was interesting and then i thought it was interesting that his best friends were like these guys like his chauffeur and his bodyguard yeah that says i think he had a hard time with friendship with peers or something like that um i mean i, I admire it in a way but i feel like he had a hard time with people like maybe scotty pippen or Dennis Rodman or somebody mm-hmm. um, who would be more, you would think would be hanging out with. Yeah. I don't know what that's about. And then I also know he's been very hard on his children. It was telling that his children only appeared in one tiny scene at the end. Yeah. Um, so I think he's probably a really tough guy. Is he still married? To his second wife, he is. Okay. Yeah. Was she, I don't remember. She wasn't even mentioned. First wife wasn't in it at all. Yeah. No. He, uh, he, he got in trouble for not supporting Harvey Gantt when he ran, ran against Jesse Helms. Oh, yeah. Um, but then I saw recently he did something like, I think he gave millions of dollars to uh, police departments to help them huh. be anti-racist. I think that's what it was. Did you all see that at all? No. Okay. Something recently he did that maybe was a bit of a atonement for that. Uh, do you ever, when you play basketball, do you like to smoke cigars before or after or both? <laughs> I am the same exact height and weight as I I know. It's amazing. But I don't smoke cigars. That's one of the first things I knew about you. I told you I just, that, yeah. Well, no. I just knew that Michael Jordan was 6'6 from when I was a kid. And 215. And when I met you, I was like, man, that's how tall Michael Jordan is. Isn't that crazy? He's yeah. so tall. And uh, 
The scene where he was weeping on the ground. When oh, I, yeah. I heard that went viral, and people didn't like to see him like that. Because he's so perfect. To be like, huh. be like Mike, kind of like perfect. After the first three peak, that one? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's his dad had just died. Yeah. And he was kind of playing for his dad. Yeah. Are, what about you? Who are you? Who was your favorite person coming out of the last dance? Hmm. Not Isaiah Thomas. Obviously. Um, I liked Horace Grant a lot. Yeah, I did too. I always liked him at Clemson, and I just thought. But I think of the main figures, I was surprised by how much I liked Phil Jackson. Yeah. And probably Scottie Pippen. Yeah. And who are you? at Salem Prez on our team of the Bulls. Rodman. <laughs> I'm scrappy. Go for every loose ball. Sometimes you don't show up. <laughs> Sometimes I don't show up. I don't know. Who would you say you are? Who am I? I'm probably Rodman. No, I'm, I don't think either of us is Rodman. Um, I mean, I'm Pippin and you're, you're Jordan. Pippen. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't really. It doesn't really work. But you haven't really given your impressions of it. Uh, I came away really liking Michael. Oh, Jordan. you like Michael Jordan, yeah? Which is, I think, what I wanted to process with you in front of these people. But I disliked him less than I used to. I really disliked him. I just always liked him. Oh, you did. Mm-hmm. Even his Hall of Fame speech. What about making fun of the Jerry Krause guy all the time? Picking on Scotty Burrell and um, being a I mean, as a short person, I resented the height Jerry aspect Crow. of it. However, uh, I don't know. I felt like he was um, breaking an unspoken code of rank. Yeah, like, he definitely was. Yeah, and I liked that. Yeah, I mean, he. I appreciated that. I think that's what I like. There, I think he was more of a nonconformist than I realized. Yeah, he definitely was. So, okay. And then uh, Tiger King, you told me that's your favorite show. <laughs> that's your. You said you've been you've watched it twice over. We watched years. like a five minute video of the whole thing summarized, and that was pretty interesting. And I'm so glad I didn't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I held off for a long time when I was sending all those emails out telling people stop. Oh yeah. Don't binge like, on junk. Stop, don't binge on junk during quarantine. And then it became such a cultural phenomenon that I, I watched some of it and I watched a lot of it because I kept trying to figure out what people was captivating. It. I was like, surely something and I <laughs> you never just, got there. I'm just here to say it's awful. <laughs> And there's some of you I was on some text chains with where there were a lot of memes, and I am, uh, I am condemning you. Here. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's our job. Yep. I think that's what the sermon was all about. <laughs> all right, so we're going to keep our discussion going from last week and mm-hmm. uh, talk about doubt, but specifically maybe skepticism and objections to the faith and the church. Mm-hmm from points of view that relate to church history oh, yeah. and science. Yeah. We just started talking about Tom Holland, which I think will yeah. come up a lot today. But the first question is, uh, what do we do with what's being described as a cop-out 
that the atrocities committed by the church are often attributed to humans only and God is not accounted for as allowing. So I think what this person's getting at is that when people say, well, what about the crusades? You know, doesn't that discount God? You know, people will say, well, that's humans. And yeah. there's a, a bit of a tautology there, as Rick Downs would say. Yeah. Um, because if you're going to say that God, these people believe in God or that we believe in God, then yeah. he has some sovereignty over that. Yeah. So solve that for us. Please. Well, I think in the Old Testament, um, like the Hebrew prophets are so critical of Israel. And... Um, they, I heard someone say, like, Marx, Freud, and Nietzsche critique religion really strongly in their own day. They're, like, the three masters of suspicion. But that you could take, like, Micah, Amos, and Jeremiah and make stronger critiques of the same thing from those three guys. Hmm. So I think that um, religion can be a terrible thing. Probably the worst thing. Mm -hmm. And and even, like, at the very seed level of religion... Um, you know, what was going on in Israel um, or the very most pure thing in the early church, you know, in the book of Acts or Corinthian church. And it's just, you can see from the beginning, it's just, it's not good. It's so bad. Uh, I just don't know how God, so I'm not, I wouldn't defend like religion or even Christianity or Christendom, but I would defend God. And um, he doesn't, he's working with really bad material, like with Abraham. He's just, everyone he's going to work with is, um, so likely to take any of that and twist it and pervert it that um, until the kingdom, I think religious Christian people are going to do terrible things. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a cop out to say that. I mean, it's not a cop out to say God is sinless. I just and Jesus was sinless, but certainly Paul was, Peter was. Every single one of his messengers has been. What about a complicity by allowing it? God, I mean, what's he going to do? There's, he sent his son to die. That was the only sinless person. Mm -hmm. He's got nothing to work with but sinful people. Yeah. Yeah. So Why make people? Why make people? <laughs> now we're going way back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that gets into the questions of the problem of evil. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the core of this question. Oh, okay, well, I think the universe, a universe with love, um, is impossible without free will. Mm -hmm. And a universe with uh, love is worth creating. And uh, God decides to do that. But that's not um, an explanation that, you know, ultimately helps you when you're experiencing really serious evil. Yeah. Um, I think the best Christians have always said that there's no way to explain that. And that one of the great things about the Bible is it doesn't try to explain it. Because if it did, then it would be, I wouldn't find that, you know, persuasive. I totally agree with that. I think you hear me rant about apologetics a lot. Apologetics are not a bad thing, but there is an overemphasis on them in these types of questions. Yeah. Where we are, we are under this impression that we can make, that we can make a compelling rhetorical case for something that scripture does not. Which yeah. really drives me crazy. Yeah. Scripture does not offer us a solution to this. It is a historical document that characterizes what has happened. 
but it doesn't necessarily often explain it. Yeah, it's a very anti-speculative document, I would say. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't get into these elaborate theories of explaining angels and it just doesn't give you any explanation for these things. And people long to know these things. Mm -hmm. And certainly the problem of evil, yeah. Which in some ways is comforting because we don't believe that it's just a book. We believe right. it's the revelation of God. And so he's chosen to reveal himself in a way where he's not allowing us to speculate. And so in some ways that's comforting mm -hmm. to say, it, I don't think that com comforts a skeptic or solves the problem at all. But it does help those who have faith believe that there, if we believe that he is good and these things have happened and he has not solved that for us, that there may be a way. I think it would be much more disturbing if there was an explanation. Yeah. And then I we agree. found it wanting. Yeah. I think the only other thing I'd add to what you said about the free will is that God created us in his image. And so by being created in his image in a way that animals were not, we were given creative agency to yeah. steward our dominion. And I'm, I'm, I'm in like four books right now, which is not, and not deeply. So I don't know where, I can't remember which one I read this from, but it might've been on the road with St. Augustine by James Smith. But it, the, was talking about just recalling that Satan was also a creature born good. Yeah. And we often forget that. Yeah. Because I think that's another question is why is Satan, why did God allow Satan to exist? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the answer is that all, all of the creatures that have agency have been given that by him yeah. in some way that was given in order to reflect glory to him. Yeah. But had the danger in the short term. Yeah. To be I, corrupted. I agree. Okay, so here's a, here's a good one for you. I like, I'm excited to hear what you say. Are Christians who support scientific discover, discoveries rubber stamping without a critical eye in an effort to distinguish from the fundamentalist dismissal of science? So I think what this person's assuming yeah. is that for most of the people watching this and us included and this person, we are not uh, people who dismiss science. Correct. At all. When I see this science, science in people's yard, where yeah. they're like, science, yeah, science is real, I'm real. like, yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Also, well, there's a, okay, I could go off on that in another direction, but uh, we believe science is real. However, is there a complicity that I guess that they're saying to um, maybe an overestimation of science in the short term? Yeah. Which all cultures have been prone to. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a distinction between science and scientism and scientism right. is the idea that science is not only the best way of knowing anything, but maybe the only way to know anything and every other way of knowing is either inferior or perhaps even like totally illegitimate. And so then science has the whole market on knowledge. And that is, uh, has a devastating impact, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I think that Soviet Union got into that 
That's scientism. Scientism, yeah. Okay. And of course, the the, the claim that science is the best way of knowing things is not scientific, so it can't even prove itself. Like it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Um, it's just an assumption they're making. Mm -hmm. Science is the best way. But if you get if you throw out scientism, then I, th I think science is an absolutely beautiful thing, mm -hmm. and it has a deeply Christian tradition. It only rose in a Christian culture. And a lot of that was because of the fundamental tenets of the Judeo-Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. So it's sadly because of the Scopes monkey trial and over the theory of evolution. What's the, explain the, that. Yeah, the Scopes monkey trial was in, in the United States in the South. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a, a guy who um, did not want uh, evolution to be taught in mm -hmm. textbooks. And um, this guy... This is in like the 20s, right? Yeah, the 20s in America. It kind of defined fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, he, was, he lost the guy who did not want evolution taught. And the Christians all you know, jumped on his bandwagon. Mm -hmm. That evolution is wrong and it's counter to the faith. And so uh, that has defined Christianity's relationship with science in America and to some extent in England. Um, since that time. And it's created this crazy idea that Christians are opposed to science. Mm -hmm. I would say that maybe when people get, when people don't agree with evolution, they might, I think what they're not agreeing with is like a scientistic view of evolution. Hmm. That it just explains everything. Um, and, it, and it doesn't, you know, it explains a lot less than some of its, um, like Richard Dawkins types think that it's, it explains. So. Yeah. There, I think um, Jeremy Begby, who is a professor at Cambridge and Duke, talks a lot about reductionism. So he is a he works in the arts, uh -huh. but he has a book on reductionism, and his his argument is that um, the problem with a scientism culture is that it is incredibly reductionistic. Yeah, you know that you just that your behaviors are just because of blah, blah, blah. And I think I might've even mentioned last week that there's a radio lab episode where uh, Richard Dawkins is speaking with Robert Krolwich. Wow. And, and they're both atheists, but Robert Krolwich starts talking about the fact that, uh, you know, well, Dawkins has this contention that you can't argue that God exists because the world is beautiful because you're assuming the world is beautiful to which Robert Krolwich basically says, you're a terrible person. <laughs> I mean, because it's, you know, and Dawkins is trying to deconstruct all of aesthetics. Yeah. And Robert Krolwich is just saying like, I am willing to suspend my disbelief right. that, that, that I think the world is in fact beautiful, even yeah. if, you're going to dispute it subjectively. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's the kind of thing that Jeremy Begbie's picking on is that we're very, yeah. we're very, once we figured how to, how to explain how things exist. And we think that because we've explained how, which is often the thing that people have problems with, with evolution, you can say, well, I know how a zebra developed its spots, but you don't know why zebras exist. Yeah. We don't know why they exist. Yeah. You might be able to say how they became what yeah. they are, 
but you can't explain like their purpose. Their purpose. Yeah. Uh, and then when you reduce things to uh, ha only having agency and natural selection, you're you're getting into issues of well, you're saying it has to exist for a purpose for it to continue to have a reason to to be a part of nature, mm -hmm. but you're not explaining why yeah. there's a dissonance there. And that's not to say that we dismiss evolution at all. Right. It's just to say that it's not a holistic explanation for the universe and they're not incompatible. Yeah. And you're, I think you're right. And this is where Charles Taylor came up last week would say the church is very much complicit because we put our stake in the ground to say we're against this rather than saying, well, we believe that science and our faith can be compatible. Yeah. But we, in many ways, are complicit in creating the divide. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we've had to choose a side. And now the side that is on science has said, well, that is not compatible with your faith. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's so sad because the faith is what produced the scientific inquiry to begin mm -hmm. with. So it's a, it's, a, it's a huge tragedy that a lot of Christians have lost their confidence in the very thing that um, mm -hmm. the tradition helped to produce. Yeah. Do you want to say more about that? The way the, the, the tradition, the church, the church has produced. Well, there, um, there's a writer named Rodney Stark that I really like, who's a mm -hmm. historian. And, uh, you see it a lot in his work. He's at Baylor. Is that right? Yep. Yep. He's written a lot of books on history and, um, how, one of them is like how Christianity invented the modern world or something like that. Mm -hmm. But he just says that if you look at the origins of science, although it got started a little bit in ancient China and ancient Greece, uh, they didn't really get going with it because what Christianity brought to the world is this idea that there's order out there. There's a single creator God and there's order stamped into everything. And not only is the order out there, it's also corresponding to our minds because mm -hmm. we're made in the image of that God. So it gave those uh, Christians, uh, actually in the Middle Ages, this desire to figure out the way things worked and to think they could figure out how they worked. Mm -hmm. And there were these like law-like patterns where they could begin to apply even equations to them. Mm -hmm. So although, you know, France, uh, Francis Bacon kind of invented the scientific method, you know, in the, you know, the, the Enlightenment kind of Renaissance era, in the Middle Ages is where it really got going. And that's another uh, thing that, uh, you know, Galileo was supposedly persecuted by the Catholic Church. But that's kind of a myth because, um, I mean, he himself was a believer. Uh, the, the people he was working from, he got his ideas from, were also believers. Mm -hmm. And the, it was kind of, it was kind of a, a feud between he and the Pope. It wasn't exactly, it's not like the church said, oh, we don't believe, you know, we think the world's flat and we don't believe in um, this the earth's got to be the center of the universe and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. That's like an anachronism that comes from the controversies we're talking about now. Right. Yeah. Read it as if there was this church that was anti-science yeah. when, yeah. when really at the time, the only place where you could find a university would be right. Related to a church. Yeah. Yeah. And all that science was done by these monks and, yeah. um, teachers who were in universities that were created by Christians to study God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, all the great universities, you know, in America and in Europe were started by Christians to study God. 
All right, here's a new one for you. Is doubt sinful? And I coupled it with another question, which these came from two different people, but are there situations in which anxiety can be a symptom of or an indication of a lack of faith or trust in God in addition to mental illness? And do you have recommendations of faith-based resources for those suffering from anxiety? I could probably take that last part. Okay. But is doubt sinful? We kind of covered that last week, and I don't think it is, but it can be. Um, like but Abraham with, um, I, I should take out that faith-based resources part because I think that's a separate question. Okay. Um, is it an indicate? Can is doubt sinful and is anxiety an indication of a lack of faith? You know, uh, there's a couple of uh, authors um, that I've read, Christian authors, who have said not only is anxiety a sin, it is the original sin. Because we're so anxious about death and we're so afraid of death. And kind of in, this, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, uh, they describe sin as entering into death. Because the resurrection is more important for them than, than the cross. It's all about beating death. And so uh, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, it's like death is what is creating all the problems. Is mm-hmm. We're all afraid of death. So we're all like hoarding our resources. Um, we're trying to create these immortality stories that will enable us to transcend this world. Uh, these, you know, kind of heroic things we've invented that make us supposedly immortal. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that's not to say, like, if you're being anxious, you're actively sinning right now. Yeah. But it is part of the warp and woof of our broken world that we're anxious. And it does create so many other sins that come from anxiety. Yeah. I agree. I think that's hard, a hard truth to speak without something anecdotal. Um, about our own about, anxiety? Well, yeah, and I'll share, I'll share about myself, which is... Um, been hard to share but I think this is a good time to broaden the audience because um so I've started to really experience a lot of anxiety around November of last year in a way that I felt like um I couldn't handle it Mm -hmm. and I'd never experienced that before I know you know this I'm telling you like you don't know this but this is for the rest of you Um, and one of the things that I thought about that I agree with what you're saying is that I knew that some of my anxiety was a result of not being able to hold together all of the sort of immortalities you were discussing, you were naming, like, Mm -hmm my inability to hold together everything that I desired to fulfill me and to make me feel safe. Yeah. Whether that's, you know, amount of income or um, how am I going to uh, be respected by people or Mm -hmm. any of those things. Those are, those are roots of anxiety. Now, I think the thing that you're getting at with the warp and woof, is that what you said? It's good though heard that expression but i've never used it (laughs) okay yeah there you go um is that it's it's not that i am inherently maliciously sinning in commission 
but but it does come from a fallen state and you're the one that actually helped me with this because i said i didn't think i should go on medication because i should change my lifestyle because i should not allow the world mm-hmm. to shape my uh my view and adapt to the world i should be more like christ and follow after him and then you called me Remember Pelagian? A Pelagian. <laughs> Explain what a Pelagian. Pelagius was like a heretic. A heretic that Augustine just—he had it out and for Pelagius. For the record, he it was very him. loving. I felt Augustine. loved by you. I know <laughs> that you called me a, a heretic. You called me a Pelagian yeah. because Pelagius thought that if you work hard enough, uh, you can beat sin, and that sin is basically a problem of the will that you just. You know, every single sin, you just have to work really hard and beat it. I mean, you, a lot of evangelicals are Pelagian, um, or at least semi-Pelagian. Mm-hmm. And the opposite of that is to be Augustinian, which is to believe we are just mired in anxiety and sin, and death is out there, and that's just the world we live in. Hmm. And you can't, you can't, do, you can't fight it with your will. So yeah, that's why I said that. Yeah, because I, I mean, really, I was living in this myth that. Like the answer is both and the answer is, is it, does it come from sin and brokenness within me and the world? Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, My priorities are disordered. My affections are disordered. My anxiety, it comes from an unbelief that God will provide for me and a worldview that says, this is what I need to survive and be content. Yeah. And there's much grace for how to deal with that. And, Mm -hmm. And not an assumption that the solution is that I fix myself. Because that would be completely contradictory to what we believe. Yeah. Yeah, fixing yourself is Pelagianism. Yep. So that actually makes me think I was going to ask you for this question about um, recommendations for faith-based resources. I don't know if they're faith-based, but you started to really get into cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, yes. Yes. So David Burns. Is he Christian? No, he's a Buddhist, the son of a Lutheran pastor um, who does use Jesus occasionally as a reference point, but he loves Buddhism. And he more, even more than that, he loves uh, Stoicism and Epictetus. Mm. And he's like, the, the, the main basis of my therapy is that we are not driven by circumstances, but by how we perceive those circumstances. And that's why in the, in a frame of mind as a Buddhist, he would say, um, you, you know, you're, it's your desires that are creating all the problems, not like what's happening to you, but it's your desire. It's very Augustinian. It is. Yeah. There's so much similarity. And, um, so Burns is always talking about correcting your perception of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, um, we have these, uh, you know, these cognitive disorders where we're always distorting the truth mm-hmm. about what's happening to us. We're mostly distorting what other people think about us. And um, for most people who are at our church, we probably think people are thinking worse things about us than they actually are. There are other people who think that everyone's thinking good things about them and they're not. Yeah. <laughs> There's someone who's very powerful, I think, and probably thinks that. But um, for the majority, Who are talking about <laughs> Satan. No, I, I think a lot of people actually have that that malady, but it's just not a particularly Christian one. 
of the narcissist and thinking that everyone thinks very highly of them. Uh But for, for me and probably most of us, we, it's just as bad. We interpret everybody as thinking these negative things about us. Yeah. So a lot of anxiety is created by the way we just our cognitive distortions and how we're Mm -hmm. viewing the world. I would just add to that for a person who's looking for Christian um, resources. This is not from a counseling perspective, but um, You Are What You Love by James K. Smith gets into what we're describing, which is I feel like if you can read that book coupled with doing cognitive behavioral therapy, um, putting those together is very Christian because Smith's argument, which comes out of Augustine, is that we are disordered in our loves and affections yeah and and um and really we're facing a huge uphill battle because we we spend an hour and a half in worship a week and that liturgy is trying to correct our cognitive yeah yeah frame and our heart frame to understand like this is reality is not uh the world yeah but that's so much of what we, but we spend the rest of our week in that. And that creates these counter liturgies that mm-hmm. completely uh, overwhelm that hour and a half of liturgy. And so yes. I think honestly, the only other solution, even more than books is actually being in counseling, which you and I talk about. That's, that's the difference between pastoral ministry and counseling is that we mm-hmm. do not do remedial work. We, we teach what our affections are created to be, but we don't often help people unwrap their life experiences because we're not trained in that. Yeah. Yeah. I just think what you're saying makes it so important to have regular routines in your day Mm -hmm. where you're correcting that perception that this world is all there is. Yeah. And all those anxieties. If you don't have it every day, I just don't know how you can possibly fight it. It's, and it's I think that circles all the way back to doubt, which is yeah. just that we, we can't but deal with a skepticism because we are drenched in liturgies that tell us that God, there is no transcendence, mm-hmm. that this is all there is. Mm-hmm. And it's a vicious cycle because the farther we get from the people of God, the revelation of God through his scripture, uh, experiencing him in prayer, the more that seems like it makes sense. That, that being, being that being that bus. That, oh, that no, bus. Just yeah. The, no, just the world the screen. Yeah. Yeah. The screen. Exactly. So. Yeah. Okay. Good one. Next week, do you want to discuss the Bible? Yeah. For like four weeks. We got a lot of questions on the Bible. Oh, we did? Okay. Yes. The the 12 tribes of Israel question. There's 12 tribes of Israel. What's the most underappreciated book of the Bible? Uh, There's a question about why why do translations change over time? So, and uh, I'll feel much more excited about this than science. I, I... (laughs) <laughs> don't understand science yeah um, actually i think another one we should do that we should put out as a teaser is after we get through the bible um maybe we can put out the talk you did at wake forest med school oh yeah on, um 
Stephen Hawking. Yeah. And then I can ask you to explain it. <laughs> Hard stop. The brief history of time. Well, you, you, you unpacked it, and then there were med students who were like, hmm, yes. And then there's me being like, hmm. To, to close with an office quote, it's like when Michael Scott talks to Oscar. And he says, will you explain this accounting situation like you would to a 10-year-old? And then he explains it. And he says, can you explain it how you would explain it to a five-year-old? I feel like that's what you'll have to do with me with Stephen Hawking. Almost compared to Abraham to Michael Scott. That was originally that. That's amazing. All right, we'll we'll pick up on that next week when we talk about the Bible. Okay. Well, thanks everyone. <laughs>